Good morning, everybody. Welcome to class. Um, so today I'll just ask you to help me read a verse together. It's 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The life of Stephen, at least a small portion of it. Uh, Charles began talking about his life today. And the purpose of our class and what we're doing here is to really get down into the practicalities of this and to be able to ask ourselves the questions in a more specific way and to really hone in to our personal action points to someone's life. In other words, you can read the Bible. Sometimes big church is like reading the Bible. Okay? It is it's wonderful. It's consistent. It's good. It's encouraging. It's a blessing. But that doesn't necessarily mean just reading it doesn't mean you apply it. And sometimes we go, you know, somebody can come up to you after church and go, so what was the lesson about? It was awesome. I was so encouraged. What was it about? It was awesome. And I'm trying to, you know, you try to remember what it was and you just, get, you know, it's like, and that, the purpose of life groups like this, Sunday school classes, is to really hone in and develop these things to actually have some action points where we can walk away and say, okay, this week I will do this to be more like Jesus. I will use the allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life to, to focus on changing me in this area or to help me to become more like Stephen or whatever the case may be. We have a lot of time. Praise the Lord. Okay, Acts 6, 1 to 15. We're only going to look at the first uh, seven verses of this, and then we'll pick up the next seven um, in the next section. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained that, against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Epicurus, Canna, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, you can imagine the challenge of the first century Christians, okay? Jesus preaches for three years, okay? He's ministering, he's communicating the truth of who he was. He is crucified. He rises from the dead. He begins to, to as in the resurrected body, seeing even at 500 at one point, and throughout many other disciples. And now the persecution begins. 
There are people who do not want this message there. Because they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Because in their minds, as you probably recognize this, remember, they did not want a suffering servant. They didn't want a shepherd. They wanted a conquering king. They wanted someone who's going to come in and wipe everybody out and who doesn't believe in it to be in control. They wanted to be in control and have that authority and power. That wasn't Jesus. That wasn't the plan. And so throughout this, we have these persecution taking place. And as Charles mentioned this morning, and I hope that we all understand this, it's true around the world, more so than it has even within the United States. Persecution revives the church. Persecution spreads the gospel in a way that isn't typically doesn't occur in the the beauty of safety, the satisfaction, the pleasure of the of the America that even we know today. It's changing. That time could come when what was being told to us this morning, being shared to us, is real. And it, it could come in our lifetime. But I hope we're also praying for our children and grandchildren who may, if Jesus doesn't come back, may experience persecution in ways that we can't even imagine. But that our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing around the world today. Okay? I, I read the magazine, Voice of the Martyrs. I, I understand the things that are somewhat small. What's happening around the world in persecution. It's real that they are facing this. And we may have to experience that as well. But this first century experience was amazing what was happening. Because here we have people who were living by Ju Judaic law. By Moses' law. They were following traditions. And because of the sinful nature which is in all of us, adding a lot to that. They were adding things to help make them to be better than they should be, etc. And sometimes we do that even within the church. We set up certain rules and regulations that this is the way you live out Christianity. Is in the Bible that this is what works for us. And we do that, it's called legalism. We kind of set up sometimes legalistic ideas that we like because it makes it seem spiritual. And the church began to have this tension. And you have these Hellenistic Greek Jews, Jews that were reading the Greek scriptures, okay? They were following these practices. And in, in all honesty, the Hebraic Jews saw them as muggles, okay? Anybody who, and if you don't understand that term, that's okay, don't worry about it. Uh, the bottom line is they saw them as not pure. Okay? In other words, they had a hierarchy of understanding amongst themselves to say, these are the ones who are doing it right. We're following the reading the scriptures right, and you're changing it up a little bit by reading the Greek scriptures. Yeah. Bob? So I was looking at that, and I was wondering if the, uh, what they're talking about, those that have been, those that were Greek, or Gentiles, whatever, 
that had been converted to the Jewish religion. They weren't Jews at all, but they were uh, converted. And the reason I, I thought that was because of the wording there where it says the Hebrews, uh, that, that there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. They were complaining against the, the Hebraic Jews. Hebrewish Jews that didn't that followed by the the Jewish Talmud, the scriptures that they followed. But remember, even as uh, I think it was, I thought it was great that he brought this out. Um, Paul was even amongst this would been considered from from the where he was from as Saul. Okay, would have been even considered as a part of this group, though he was a hundred percent Jewish. And was trained by as a Pharisee of Pharisees, as you know. So I think it was a mixture of people, but they followed the Greek scriptures. In other words, they, they that was what they focused on, for whatever reason. And I think it's part. Most of it was because of culture. Yes, mo majority of them were Greeks who became followers. Remember, even when Jesus was alive, the Greeks came to ask questions of Jesus, right? And so they're trying to figure this all out. So you've got these people that are in conflict with each other now in the church, okay? So these are the Jews who adopted Greek language and culture, okay? Culture's huge, okay? They weren't living the Jewish lifestyle, and so they were seen as people that were like, no, you're not, you're not doing it right. You're not living right. You're not following this right. They were disciples of Christ, though. They were followers of Jesus Christ. And when this persecution occurred and the gospel went out, people were getting saved of all various backgrounds. Okay? And that they then began creating this their own version of this, of the gospel, and their own version of how they followed the gospel. Okay? From a Greek perspective and culture. And that was forbidden within the Jewish community. So when they, they recognized. Okay, these people are disciples of Christ. They're Christians. But they're not like us. They're not good enough. And so, remember, okay, the controversy is that the widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Why were they distributing food? Because they were poor. Because they were poor. Why were they poor? They're widows, they're persecuted, they're old. Okay. What else? What did we talk about last week? Okay. As we put our thinking caps on. Well, that was Charles brought that out this morning that they lost their jobs in the temple, so they were doing other things. But what was happening in this first century? What did Barnabas do last week that we talked about? Uh, that was significant. What did Barnabas do? He sold his property, brought it and laid it to the disciples' feet. Why? Because they thought Christ was coming back at any moment. But why were they doing it? You're absolutely right. But why were they doing that? So that no one had what? Need. Need. So now everybody's, you know, they're selling their property, they're giving it to the disciples' feet, and they're distributing food so that everybody's needs were taken care of, except these Hellenistic widows. 
They were second class citizens. So it's like we didn't give them as much. Their needs. And so it's like the, uh, the Jewish widows, the Judaic widows, they're, they're getting plenty of food. But these, you know, Hellenistic widows, not so much. Are they getting by? Yeah. But was it right? And so they're going, wait, my mom isn't getting enough food. Your mom is getting plenty. There's something wrong with this. And so they brought these people together and they said, you know what? We got to take care of these widows just the same way as everybody else. And the bottom line was, it's like, okay, well, we're not going to do it. Okay, the bottom line is we have to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. So we choose how many men? Seven. They were Hellenistic men who were able to then act as deacons, servants, to minister to these people, to make sure everyone got taken care of properly. So they wisely chose these Hellenistic Jews who were disciples of Christ, who were followers of Jesus, to make sure that the distribution of food, everything was taken care of properly. Okay? And you know what, folks? The bottom line is this. If we're actually going to do the work of the church, we have to actually have people responsible to make it happen. Servants, not people who are on the paid staff. Okay? But we've got to have people who are using their gifts and abilities to make sure that everything is taken care of properly. Okay? And sometimes, in, in a church like Thomas Road, the danger can be is this. They pay people to do that. The bottom line is, the, the church has to still be the church. Just because we have paid people to do things doesn't mean that we don't have a role in doing those same things. That we find our place of ministry and service, wherever that might be. From children's ministry to senior adult ministry to outreach ministry to whatever the Lord would lead you to do, to find your place and to use that. And Stephen was one of those individuals who was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit was chosen. What was the result? It says that the word of God spread. Why? God honors what they were doing. What? Persecution. There was persecution going on, and people recognized what was then happening. What, what was the previous passage about? They chose seven men so that, for what reason? Why did they choose seven men? Why did the disciples take on that role? So that they could preach and pray. So they could focus on what God's called them to do. Because if, if, if what you end up doing is, you know, people that are, you know, are responsible for things, they tend, they can, if they're not careful, take on more responsibility. Well, I'll just do that too. Well, I'll just do that too. Well, I'll just do that too. Number one, it takes away the blessing of somebody else. But the other thing is, is that then they get stretched out so much that they are ineffective in what they're doing. So now the gospel is spreading People are being saved. God is being faithful to do that. And think through that now. Okay? People are watching what's happening. 
Now, I know that our experience with God is a lot related to this class. Okay? We started this class over 28 years ago now. We're in our 29th year. And I remember how this class started. I walked in, and this is not slamming anything or creating any problem. Just this is the reality of the church, being the church, the issues of the church. Cheryl and I walked into class one day. The class was, it was a, we called the Genesis class. It was about 120, 130 people would be there every single Sunday. And Cheryl and I walk in, and there's like 40 people in there. And we're like, where's everybody? And our teacher wasn't there. What we didn't know is that he took over half the class and went across town and started a church. And it was like, we're not going to do the things the way Thomas Road does them. And it was like, the leadership walks into our class because they were notified that morning what happened. So they walked into our classroom and we're sitting there going, what? what's going on? And they go, well, this class isn't going to exist anymore the way it is. We're going to split it into four. And Cheryl and I chose, we're going to be young families. One of the fours was called Young Families. And we started this. And God blessed, we had about we started with, I think, six, six of us, seven of us, eight of us, something like that. And then it was like 10 and 15 and 20. And we were there. But I'll never forget one of the couples in our class. And this, there's a point to this. There was a couple in our class. Um, the husband's name is Larry. And I, he and I worked out together that morning at the, uh, where the visitor center is now. And that evening was his wife's 30th birthday. And we were so, you know, we are happy for them. And they were going to go out for a special dinner. He was 29. She was 30. He was tall, about 6'1", six, 6'2", six six something like that. Then we're built, you know, just a great guy. Me, not so much. <laughs> we had a great workout session. He went home later that day. He worked at Liberty for admissions. I get a phone call. And it's Suzanne on the phone. Lou, Larry's had a heart attack. Meet me at the hospital. He was in the kitchen. They were all dressed, ready to walk out the door for her birthday. He drops the floor in the kitchen. And she says, Larry, this is not the time to fool around. Come on. She goes over to him, shakes it, and realizes he's not moving. She calls an ambulance. They try to revive him. I went to Lynchburg General. We sat there together in a small little room. I can still picture it. Suzanne to my left. I'm sitting on the right. A doctor walks in and says, I'm sorry. There's nothing we could have done. He probably was dead by the time he hit the floor. And our little class, probably 25, 30 people at that time, just blessed that family rallied around, met needs. And in reality, what was happening, Thomas Road saw a life group, a Sunday school class, do something that they had not seen before. They ministered in a way, they, these class members ministered in a way that just wasn't done typically. And who happens to a 29-year-old, you know? And a family like that. And our class went from about 30 to 100 in about a year. 
to a year and a half. Because people were saying, if that's the church, I want to be a part of it. And people were getting saved. And people were coming in. And it was like, this is what's happening here. See, when people use, when you use your gifts, people are attracted to that. They want something to believe in that they can trust in. It was like when Gary Habermas came back from Scotland and he was asked to do an apologetic tour in Scotland. Now, if you know Scotland, Scotland has less than 1% followers of Christ, between 1% and 1.5%. So he was asked to speak at a church on a Sunday night. And he's like, why? If you know the church is there, they're typically 20 to 30, maybe 40, and that's a good-sized church. This was an old, established church, brick church, and most of the large churches over there are basically empty. They're being converted into bars, they're into clubs, uh, into various restaurants. They're just, they're dying. He walks into this church, and I remember talking to him right after he came back, and he was blown away. He said, the place was packed. And he said, he, he says, I, was, I asked the pastor, I said, what is this? This is our congregation. What? In Scotland? He said, let me tell you, when we started this church, we decided that we were going to be the church. And we gave to the poor. We clothe the poor. We give food to the poor. We reach out and minister to people in need wherever they are. And people started showing up and going, we've never seen this in Scotland. We see the high church, the attitude of just dead orthodoxy. I can believe in a real life faith like this. And they were coming to Christ, coming to Christ, because that's real. I, I can see people being ministered to in a way that I've never seen done before. I don't want to just have a head knowledge of God. I want to see God in people. And it made all the difference in the world. And people came. And see, this is what's happening here. They're being able to say, you know what? We can work through our problems. Is the church perfect? <laughs> no. I'm going to mess that one up. But when people see the church acting like the church, loving people, serving people, helping people, loving each other, meeting needs, doing what God has called them to do, that's attractive. They want to be a part of something like that. And that's why... This is why this class, so many of you serve in so many different ways. Why is this class, regardless of the number of times they move us, <laughs> why does it still exist? It's because of you. You may like how I teach, but the bottom line is people are attracted to people doing the church. You serve in so many ways that people go, I, want, I, I can believe in something like that. I'll, I'll, I'll can, that's real to me. It's not dead orthodoxy. It's not arrogance. It's not pride. It's not polished. It's not perfect. It's just them living Jesus 
And I can do that. I like being a part of that. Serving. That's what this is all about. The disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Even the priests were being saved. It, it, it's like people who are living righteous lives was like, remember, as they're going through this, they're describing in Stephen, if you go through there, you read the entire passage, he's explaining to them like Jesus did to the disciples. He's doing something here. He's, he's saying, okay, when, when you read this passage, this is about me. They were then talking to Stephen. was like, this is about Jesus. And some people believed. Anyone whose heart was open is like, okay, I can see that now. I can see that. It's like on the road to Emmaus. He opened their hearts and eyes, and they were able to hear. He was telling them from Genesis to Revelation, you know, Genesis through Malachi, who he was through the scriptures. And they're like, wow, did not our hearts burn within us? When they began to see, that's about Jesus. When everyone uses their spiritual gifts, good results happen. So let me ask this. Where are you using your spiritual gift for the Lord? What is your spiritual gift? Do you know it? And how are you using it? It doesn't work. Christianity is not a spectator sport or religion. It's when, one where you actually actively participate and use what God has given to you. So Stephen was a godly man who stood strong. Someone read from me Acts 6, 8 to 15. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the Spirit as he spoke. Okay. Uh, then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the St. Hedron. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs <clears throat> Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Alright. So they see him, hear him, they're angry at him, okay? They're frustrated and they're bringing people to lie about what's going on. Stephen was a man full of God's grace and his power, okay? God's grace. Somebody tell me, what's grace? What is it? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. In other words, you don't have to earn your Stephen's respect, your favor with him. You're okay. Okay? That's grace. Favor. You didn't have to earn anything. But he also had power. He performed wonders and signs because of the Holy Spirit. This is a first century experience. 
to give evidence and validate that he was a disciple of the Lord and was used by him. Wonders were the strange things that caused people to be amazed. In other words, he was doing things that was like, wow. Now, many in the religious community didn't like that because it was like, wait, he's getting all the attention. Remember the Pharisee who stood in the temple who said, I'm so thankful that I'm not like one of these. He had on his robes and everything that was dangling from it and, you know, all the things that showed his authority and power, etc. And the sinner sat in the corner beating on his breast saying, oh, God, what a sinner am I. Forgive me. You know, and he said that man went away righteous because he recognized who he was. This is not this was not what they wanted. Okay, they wanted to look at themselves as being I'm pretty good. You ever do that? You ever think to yourself, I'm so glad like I'm not like one of my neighbors? Jerk. In Jesus' name. Do you ever look at people and go, you know, I, man, I just can't believe they're, they would live like that. It, you know, you, we begin to look at ourselves as being so much better than somebody else. You know, I can do that. But they looked at themselves, the sinners saw themselves for who he wasn't. But he was also able to perform signs, which were miracles that gave evidence to his ministry. Why do, why do people oppose successful ministry? You ever notice this? You have, to, I, you, know, you have to be careful, folks. And again, I don't want to pull out a pen and throw a grenade on this one. This, this, there's merit to it. Okay? But at times, when God seemingly uses a ministry, there will people rise up to criticize, to shed blame that they're not puristic of the gospel, they're not doing it right, they're not sharing it right. Are people getting saved there? Yes, absolutely. But you know what? They're probably you know, not going to be discipled the way they should be. And you know, you see these ministries out there that God's blessing or that seems to be blessing. Well, that's not, that's not, how many times have you heard somebody say, that's not God, that's the devil. You got to, people, we got to be careful. You know, that's what the Pharisees were doing, right? He's not from God. That's, he's doing those miracles because of Beelzebub, Satan. They were doing religion with all the rules and regulations that men had put on, on it, what they were expecting. And they're coming along and upsetting the apple cart. Don't you understand? I've been, you know, my family's been here at this First Baptist Church for years, and, and we stayed here even when they formed the Second Baptist Church, you know. When they, you know and, uh, and they were upsetting the, the way things had always, had always been. People don't like it when you don't do things the way we've always done. Yeah. And, and that does not, okay, spirituality, listen, spirituality or God's blessing is not necessarily directly related to the size of a ministry. Okay? It's the faithfulness of those in that ministry. Are they living for God? Are they doing it right? The size of a ministry doesn't necessarily validate the godliness of the ministry or the blessings of God. So a small congregation in which the people are doing the right thing 
doing, saying the right things, living the right way, preaching the right gospel, communicating, serving, giving, is, is just as good as a 20,000-member congregation that's doing that as well. They're different. But the idea is that sometimes, though, people can get angry and frustrated and jealous at success. When you're doing it right, people don't necessarily like that. We have to be careful. The Jewish leaders from the synagogue of freedmen, freedom uh, opposed Stephen. These were Hellenistic Jews. How did Stephen refute them? What did he, how did he do to refute them? He stayed faithful to the truth. He stayed faithful to the truth. The word of God. What else? Upset the apple cart, as they used to say. I don't really want to get involved, and neither should you, honey. Don't say anything. Don't get them angry, because you could. This could happen. We don't like negative consequences, so we want to always play our cards right, as they used to say, or you know, make sure everybody's happy. Yeah, that's not necessarily the godly way. That doesn't mean we should be jerks. You know, Jesus jerks. No, God hasn't called us to do that either. But as Mark said, and Scripture tells us, we're to speak the truth in love. In love. Speak the truth in love. And and then it, it's gonna it will land where it will. And the book then boundaries helps us understand that you've got to allow them to deal with their stuff. You deal with you, they deal with them. Okay? And that's how it has to, to work in life. Okay? Will God give you through the Holy Spirit the words to say? What wisdom does 1 Peter 3.15 give us? That was, Donna added that as our memory verse for this week. Would someone read that for me? 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart, revere... Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to every anyone who asks to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Okay. So, in your heart, set apart, revere Christ as Lord. Okay? So, in other words, the first question of the lesson for this part, this verse is, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is he the Lord? Who's the Lord? Who's in control? Am I in control? Who's in the driver's seat? Is, am I in the driver's seat or is the Lord in the driver's seat? Who's in control? Okay? Is he Lord? Then always be prepared to give an answer. 
2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study. Are we prepared? Well, I can't do that because I just, you know, I, I asked um, in my Religion 104 class online, I asked the students in one of their discussion boards, what challenges do you face when sharing your faith? 75% plus of my students give this response. I don't know the Bible enough to be able to share it with others. Thank you for your honesty. Okay? But what are you doing about it now? Are you studying it, preparing it to give an answer? To be able to go through the gospel with someone, to be able to go through the scriptures with someone. Stephen was that person. He was able to, off the top of his head, give him the history of uh, throughout the Old Testament. To be able to communicate that, that's, that takes time. It doesn't mean that you have it today. Don't put yourself down. Don't be a strict with that, Donna. and respect. In other words, we're not harsh towards them and we're respectful of their views. In other words, we don't put them down. See, what, what was happening here is Stephen, it's not like they said, come, let us reason together. Let's talk to this. No, you either buy into what we do or you're, you're, we're stoning you. It's like, oh, oh, oh chill. Can we just have an open, honest conversation here? Let's talk through this. No. It's our way or the highway. Well, in our lives, we need to learn how to develop a way of communicating and receiving so that we can actually have open, honest conversations with people to tell us to speak the truth. So what happened when these Jews could not silence Stephen? They got people to lie about it. <laughs> when they're asking him questions, and it was like, okay, he got that one too. Man. Um, and, you know, they're trying to trick him like they did Jesus. And he would always come back with wisdom, and he, he got this. He had an answer for them. So what did they do? Get people to lie about you. Does this happen today? Oh, are you kidding me? Do people ever lie about people speaking the truth? It's exactly what they did to Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they take it out of context. Happens in the media, happens in the news, 
It happens in a lot of different places. They brought it before the council of the Sanchez here in a Jewish court. Okay? See, his face, uh, face was like the face of an angel, it says. This was actually a common expression in Judaism to depict a person who had a bright, spellbinding, or inspiring appearance. In other words, it didn't necessarily glow like Moses's, or they had to put a veil to get it so they couldn't see him. Basically, if you ever notice somebody who is just really passionate about something, and it's just like they communicate, you just, they're, they're spellbinding. When they're talking, you just kind of, wow, man, that time flew. I was so intrigued by what they were saying. It's amazing. It's kind of like this passage. And that's, as he was talking, people were listening to They were amazed. They were like spellbound. His face just kind of, wow. Okay. Now, could it have glowed? Maybe. Okay. But probably if it was actually glowing, I don't know that they would be as arrogant, self-righteous as they were. You know, that would have kind of freaked me out. His face is glowing. This is not normal. <laughs> <laughs> he was stoned to death. Acts 7, 51 to 60 says, You stiff necked people. <laughs> but that's probably not necessarily gentleness and respect, but nevertheless. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Now you betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, the probably the reason we continue to do this, he says, look, but they couldn't see it. Just like in the Old Testament, he's like, do you want to let them see what you see? You see? And their eyes were opened and they saw the angels, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels. It was like, whoa. Boy, wouldn't it be great to have our eyes opened to the angels who are watching over and protecting us? saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. So what was the result? Stephen was stoned. He died for his faith. What can the Holy Spirit teach me about Stephen's life? So this morning, as we're ready to leave, what can the Holy Spirit teach you this morning? What can it teach me about Stephen's life? Real quick, what are some principles that we can apply? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Bold. Resolved. Resolved. Truth. Know the Bible. Know the Bible. Truth. Persevere. Persevere. 
with the big, yeah. Hey, Lou, I think the biggest thing is he relied on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. For all those things. It was, it wasn't Stephen, it was the Holy Spirit working through him. And the only way that can happen is when we're living without sin in our life. And we confess it before the Lord. Has ever, anyone ever wronged you? I think all of us would probably say, yes, yes. yeah. Okay. So what's our response when we're wrong? Even lied to or lied about, etc., etc., etc. How did Stephen respond? Lord, forgive him. Have you forgiven him? What's really cool about what the scripture is saying is that that time in his life, just before he was going to stone, God allowed him to see himself and his son Jesus. And that's where he was going. And he was just focused on the fact. That's, that's it. Yeah. Amen. And if we believe the Bible, that's true. In other words, Jesus was standing at the right side of the Father, waiting for Stephen. And how many times have we heard people who are on their deathbed said something similar? You know, and just, man, have faith, believe. Trust. God is real. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And he wants to give you life and life abundant now and forever in heaven. You can believe in that. How well do I know the Bible to share my faith effectively? What steps can I take to accomplish this? That's personal to you. What steps are you taking right now to know the Word of God? Not just so that you know the Word of God and go, I know the Word of God, but so that you can share it with others. And that you put yourself in a position where at the right place, at the right time, God uses you to be His witness. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you for the life of Stephen. Thank you for the word of God that's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the sun, the bone of marrow. God, not for the purpose of just shocking us, but informing us, infusing us through the power of your Holy Spirit to not only know it, but to do it. God, bless these families. Bless our church. Bless our, our witness for you this week. May we be willing to be bold, faithful, true, to know your word, to apply it. Lord, we're, we're all at different places in our spiritual lives. None of us are where we should be. None of us are where we could be without your Holy Spirit. Lord, take us where we are. Not where we ought to be. Take us where we are today and continue to work through your Holy Spirit in all of our lives, even those that are away from us today, to bring us to conformity to who you are.
and how you want us to live. And may we be patient with one another. Encourage one another to see that happen. And may we pray and trust you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all.